Hello and welcome to the Tech Marketing Podcast. This is a particularly exciting episode for several reasons. One of them is that we have, this is our first recording with our new host, Fez, uh, who we all said hello to before I started recording. It was quite a hurrah. Say hello, Fez. Hello, everyone. There we go. That's her. And uh, we are here today with Hidden. We are, it's our, it's our International Women's Day episode. I'm super excited about this episode in particular. But before we get into why, why don't the lovely guests from Hidden introduce themselves? Hi, I'm Sarah. I am from Hidden. I've probably been with Hidden the shortest time amongst the three of us. Um, but I have always had, my career has always been within tech. And um, in the last couple of years, I've kind of moved from traditional recruitment within tech to diversity and inclusion, because I just think there is such a huge systemic problem within the industry, within having kind of women minority representations, and I'm really passionate about it and hidden. It aligns with everything I believe in. And they have just such great people and collateral. Amazing. Hello, my name's Natalie. I'm I'm a talent manager at Hidden. I've been with Hidden now, oh my goodness, longer than I care to admit. Um, but I would think I'd take this opportunity to maybe do a little bit of an intro potentially on kind of who, who Hidden is, just to give give the wonderful listeners a bit of a better idea about who we are and what we do. Um, so we were founded realistically understanding and, and knowing that there's a big issue within the creative tech advertising industries around just a lack of understanding on what it actually means to be a diverse employer because as we all know diversity isn't just one thing it's not a tick box it's a range of different subjects that really need very very conscious and very active workplace to them so what we ultimately do here at hidden is our north star our goal our focus is to create a better more diverse working world for everyone and the way in which we do this is we partner with these amazing agencies who really want to make that change and we support them with everything to do with talent so that's both incoming talent and the wonderful pre-existing talent in those in those agencies and then we also focus on everything around diversity equality inclusivity and belonging sometimes we'll put that into the acronym DEI and B um, and that could be done through you know talking like we do today and providing toolkits and education all the way through to workshops policy renews, you name it, we are absolutely there ready to show up and support. So within that, I'm a talent manager um, and I joined Hidden just absolutely same sort of reason as Sarah. I've been in recruitment. I know what recruitment is like. It is very different to anything, you know, we, we do here at Hidden. And I really saw an opportunity to make a change, make a difference for people who really needed representation and voices within this industry. So that's my little intro. <laughs> Thank you so much. And last but not least, over to Kim. I'm Kim Joseph. I'm Communities and Partnerships Lead at Hidden. My role, excuse me, is very much essentially opening up avenues for underrepresented minorities to get them into the um, creative and tech industries. Um, whereas they may not have had that opportunity before. So um, it's a fabulous position to be in, can be quite challenging at times, but what would our jobs be without a challenge? We're so pleased to have you, okay? Now, I'd like to open up this conversation uh, with what was the main, the kind of the main problem, okay? So we decided real early that we wanted to have an International Women's Day podcast, Kim. And... Then we think, okay, well, what's that going to be? Now, I'm a podcast producer, and it seems like International Podcast, International Women's Day, pretty much is International Podcast Day. We're very busy. Everyone wants to say something on this day, okay? 
But is anyone saying anything? Is, is what I'm finding from the conversations that I'm having. So we decided, right, let's say something. Let's do something good. And we ran into hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. John and I are, as you may have noticed, two straight, straight white men that, that, that run this podcast. So we thought, well, we're going to have to have a, a woman on. And then I heard uh, the term purple washing for the first time. And how if, I, if we have a woman on and then, and then remove her, this is, you know, problematic in its own way. Uh, and the, the issue I'm trying to highlight is we were all so concerned with the idea of having a sensible discussion, we almost didn't have a discussion. We almost put this to one side and said it's not worth it. How do we get over that? Because it's clearly a problem. I think that it's so important to have uncomfortable conversations because through uncomfortable conversations, that's how we grow and it's how we learn. And I think that if we avoid the conversations and skirt around some of the issues, then, you know, we'll never learn and we'll never change and we'll never be able to kind of support the different minorities. And I think it's okay to be a male and straight and whatever. Like, it's fine. It doesn't matter at all because everybody's opinion is important and you know we talk about allyship a lot at Hidden and it's important that you know allies can represent minorities you don't have to be a woman to be an ally for women and you know Nat's got you know she's got a great example of what being an active ally looks like. You know we, we do a lot of like we said we do a lot of this training and development around kind of active allyship and you know it, it really falls down to really understanding firstly why do you want to be an ally? You know, when we try and self-define it, it's something that's really difficult to even put into words. But why do you want to be an ally? Why do you want to go into this situation? What do you want to bring to it? But ultimately, one of the biggest things that we look at is you have to go and partner with that community. You have to show up and be extremely conscious about what you're doing. It's one thing to say, yeah, I want to do this. And, you know, I've got a woman on the podcast, so I've ticked that box. It's really, really great, which is, I know, not what we're trying to do here today. But... It's where do you take that next? You know, it's where do you go, okay, consciously, I'm making this action. I'm opening a door for a conversation. How am I going to take it one step further? How am I going to connect with a community? How am I going to provide better opportunity for women in the business, whether that be something around, you know, raising starting salaries for all women and, and, and women of minority backgrounds coming into the business, because that gives them more of a starting edge to, you know, build in and, and close that salary gap through to, you know, how do I show up for my local communities? Can I go and spend a little bit of time, you know, providing skill support to, you know, young women who are looking to get into the tech space? So it's about being that ally, but actually, what do you do next with that information and how do you take that one step further? Actually, you know, for me, it's about, um, and for Hidden, it's about women being heard and supported. You know, there'll be very many different approaches to this in the, um, you know, in the workplace. Uh, but being an ally uh, for women means, you know, speaking out for women in tech. Um, what is it like being, you know, a powerful source of inspiration for people that are actually in these roles? you know, talking about their experiences in a safe space, you know, building momentum like around idea generation um, or promoting that work culture, you know, where it's normal to have these kind of conversations and celebrating successes openly. Mm -hmm. You know, I think women that are already in this industry, um, you know, they have a huge platform that they can voice their opinions and kind of their, and share their stories but really drive um, kind of motivation around kind of what it takes to be a woman in tech, how you can get into it and really kind of 
helped to push the, the agenda <clears throat> excuse me for young people wanting to get into to these types of roles and just to add to that sorry I was going to say practically you know like I've had male managers before, lots of people have. And I think sometimes we have to have uncomfortable conversations. What do you need? Is there anything that you need as a mum? Is there anything that would help you, you know, feel more comfortable if we spoke about X, Y or Z? And I think that what's so powerful is we've seen a major, major shift recently. And companies have started to even have menopause policies, which I just think is fantastic. But then you come against the problem where some people have, you know, real uncomfortable feelings around talking about this with people because they don't want to offend and I think it's that feeling of not wanting to offend that can really stop us from progressing and that's the thing that we have to challenge ourselves to do and say you know what it's okay to say what we think it's okay to ask a question because that is how we can progress and how we can grow you mentioned a policy there what policy are co- policies are company p- companies putting in place so um there's new policies that are kind of coming into play a lot such as menopause policies which that's basically setting out approaches for people who are experiencing menopausal symptoms and it can be whether you're kind of female trans non-binary but kind of going through that transition and how you can support employees that's kind of the first thing the second is around um flexi working for parents and it can be whether it's male female single parents solo parents and it's how people can support them by being flexible and I think the term flexi working is branded about so much I see it in job descriptions I've seen it in companies and I think what Hidden do that's amazing is we emphasize well what does that mean how does that support somebody and help them to actually be the best version of themselves at work and give everything and also feel like they can work because you know once you've had a child it's, it's a huge change and I think trying to juggle a few and you know I say this on the podcast with my four-year-old sat next to me off school at the moment so you know I hold my hands up to how difficult it is and I think you know having just the term flexi I think doesn't mean much but having a policy around it and what it can mean to be supportive to parents who have children who are kind of just managing a different working world. Com- completely agree. I've always said I want the best seven and a half hours, not the seven and a half hours we tell you you have to give. Um, and so, yeah, that that I think that's an incredibly important, especially in today's world where you know we have to define those those elements. Um, you know, it's it's no longer uh, it's no longer normal to to be working from an office five days a week, is it? So um, it's I think we have to be we have to be clear what we expect of our employees, but and, and the flexibilities that we give them. And so I think you're exactly entirely right there, Sarah, by saying we need to define flexible working. Harry, you you wanted to jump in with a question. I'm desperate, bro. I'm desperate because again we have. Uh, Kim, in your first answer, you mentioned uh, safe space. Sarah, you mentioned having uncomfortable conversations within the workplace. And Natalie, you were talking about beyond allyship. And my question was really focused on the hurdles before allyship. Because let's say I know nothing. I do know this. I don't want to be the guy that is asking a lot of questions during the company racism talk, okay? I don't want to be known as that guy, okay, who, who who's always has his hand up and doesn't seem to be clued up on this. So, and and we want a safe space, as, as, as Kim said. Do you think work is a safe space? Because it certainly doesn't necessarily feel like one. How do you make it feel like one? Because this is... Obviously, this is these are these are thoughts that need to be come by. But once upon a time, 
even five, six years ago, this was a personal journey. And you guys probably went on personal journeys and then joined this. It was something that was important to you. Well, now you're bringing me something that's important to you and convincing it to be important to me. But we're not in the same, I'm not in the same location that you were. And it's much riskier for me to go through a journey of accepting racism and sexism within myself in front of my company. You can jump in. And so one of the big things that we speak about about making work a safe space is it boils down to when you look at culture, everyone wants to think they have a great culture. Everyone wants to think mm -hmm. their business has a culture of inclusivity where people can feel really comfortable talking about this stuff. But the behaviors of every individual that you bring into your business, that's what makes your culture. And mm -hmm. if someone is having a conversation that is just overheard what we would call, you know, water cooler speak that makes someone feel slightly uncomfortable, it's everyday situations like that that are going to build your culture. One of the sort of, I, I would say, one of the kind of best organizations that does it really well, I won't mention their name on here, but they actually are, you know, um, sort of one of the top uh, DE&I allied organizations in the UK. And a lot of the, the actions that they take internally that really start to build that space is communities internally. So a lot of the time, individuals may feel comfortable, and we have to respect the fact that not every minoritized individual will want to come forward or will have the same struggle. But one of the big things is creating those communities internally, whether that's a community for female representation within your business, whether that is a community internally for LGBTQ plus representation within your business. Firstly, creating those pockets, creating those safe spaces where individuals with lived experience can share their stories, first and foremost. Yep. And the uptake on this might not be quick. We have to remember, this isn't going to change in a day. You know, women's rights, equal rights, this is something that we've been fighting for for a very, very long time, not to mention yep. everything else that comes under that space. So for me personally, communities internally is one of the first steps that you can take to change that. I'm sure Kim and Sarah will have some, some awesome points on that too. My problem is, before we move on, those are safe spaces for minority communities. And if I come into those spaces with questions, they're not safe spaces anymore. The point of those spaces are that they don't have to answer questions from people that don't understand it, like me. So where is the safe space for me to ask those questions? I think, and maybe this is controversial, but potentially that is an insecurity, I think, in people who they want to be you know, seem to be doing the right yeah. thing. They have no malice behind it. Their bias isn't coming from a place where they are looking to be sexist or racist. Mm -hmm. But actually, if you don't ask the questions and you don't learn, you're not going to progress. And actually, if someone comes to me and asks me a question about being a woman or about being Jewish, I don't see it as a personal attack. No, no, I see no, no, it as no. somebody who's curious. And actually, for me, it's it's a lot stronger and I prefer it if someone would come to me and ask a question about my community. Yeah. And I also think that um, it's really important to have education within companies. So, for example, what Hidden do a lot is they, they say that, you know, we should be looking at embracing and exploring all of the kind of awareness days within the calendar. And, for example, you know, if we are talking about 
the history of LGBTQ+, we have a session on it within, whether it's a lunch and learn. And I think what's really important about these sessions is it's the way it's framed. And I think in the introduction, it's having rules to say, this is a safe space. We understand that not everybody understands the content and that's okay. And we want you to ask questions and that's okay. And that's how we're going to develop. And I think implementing those things into your organization will really help to transform that shift because actually it brings people from that place where they feel really insecure to ask to then be able to ask the questions and have that forum to then feel confident to be an ally because they don't feel like they're going to say something wrong. And also I think, you know, your intentions, it's all about intentions. And I think, you know, the intentions is good, but I think that sometimes when your intentions are good, but you don't put any action in place and you're too scared to do anything, it stops you from being active in that space, if that makes sense. It's a continuous education piece. So one of our values is speak up, speak open, speak often. That's fine. But, you know, we need to make sure that we're actively you know, doing as we say we're going to do and keep pushing that narrative. This might be the old way of thinking or it might be the new way of thinking. I don't, I'm interested to know your thoughts. Like I read that as building psychological safety inside the organisation, like enable, you know, we've always said, and this is nothing to do with, with um, you know, necessarily some of the subjects we're discussing today, but I've always thought it's better to have conflict and come out of that conflict with a resolution than it is for everyone to agree. That's why diversity is so important. Um, and so like I read that as, as creating those, those safe zones where you do encourage feedback, you do encourage positive and constructive conflict. Um, you know, you do, you, you, but like you say, you have to start from somewhere. So I, I was kind of reading that as, as the, as the key element there is, is to create that, that safety. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, I think that is, is a huge thing. I think that companies need to feel confident to build that within their culture to make sure that people can grow and learn. It's, it's the only way. Yeah. And that doesn't have to be internally per se. You know, we have, just like you're doing today, you know, we have external subject matter experts, individuals that are, you know, better educated in that space to come in and talk to us about these particular matters. And they are also another safe space. And I think that the, the, the thing that I always think about when we talk about these conversations is you have to take someone's hand and you have to lead them into a comfortable space to get them uncomfortable. You know, no one is going to open up and, and break open their shell if they're already feeling, you know, this, this pressure. Um, and we look at it, the kind of analogy is around everyone does tend to start in a bit of a fear state, and that's fine. That is totally fine to be in that state. But then you move into an education state. And, you know, that that transition is not easy. And I think it's recognizing it's not an easy transition, but the fact that you're taking steps to do that is fantastic. And it comes back to then you're kind of going into active allyship, but you're constantly flitting toward education being an ally, education being an ally. But it's, yeah, it's about, you know, comfortable, comfortable spaces. And I totally agree with with Sarah on that as well. Sometimes it is a little bit like, I've got to look in and go, I'm, I need to be ready to be uncomfortable. I need to be ready to be challenged and accept criticism with grace. People are going to come and tell me, actually, that's probably not a great action to represent our community. You might need to do it differently. And that's scary, right? That's scary. But that's part of being an ally. That's that's what you do so you can show up in the right way for people. So I was going to say, the other thing, just to kind of like um, finalise what Nat is saying, is conversations that happen from an, a mental health perspective as well, um, which, you know, everybody's talking about and it's super important, um, mental health and just making sure that, you know, we are wrapping, around, wrapping our arms around those individuals that need it, um, that need that extra support 
um, in the workplace. When I learned that the women from Hidden were, were joining us today in, in such an important podcast in celebration of International Women's Day, I started thinking about kind of the, the name of the company Hidden and its multiple meanings. And obviously, as a recruitment agency, it's, it strikes me as, you know, the first meaning is is the obvious one that you're a company given to reveal and uncover previously hidden talent. But in the context of to, today's discussion, it really interests me that we can be talking about Hidden's role in the way that the business is is giving itself to uncover some of these uncomfortable truths. And and I think this is what Harry was alluding to earlier, the difficult conversations, Natalie, that, that you were um, speaking of earlier. And then, you know, Sarah and Kim, the, the way that we engage in those conversations and create the conditions and the circumstances to allow for psychological safety so that the conversations unfold constructively and meaningfully. But but I would I would really like to talk to you three particularly around the idea of the responsibility that comes as women in business to bring into the space some of the hidden and sometimes darker truths that are preventing um, women entering particularly the tech space. So one of those darker truths, I reach now towards the stereotype that goes along these lines. Well, we know that women are not good at maths, science and engineering, and there's plenty of scientific evidence to prove it. Therefore, it's pointless putting in place these uh, means of bringing women into those spaces because they don't have the aptitude. And it really interests me that can we be having one of those difficult conversations around, well, for one thing, that stereotype, the premise at the base of that stereotype needs to really be questioned because if we can prove that it simply isn't true, we're starting with a great new base where all of these um, interventions and all of these constructions that, that you have then become much more, have much more power and much more portent. So, for instance, I was reading a, a paper recently in a journal, and it was it was the, the the paper was given to a study at Leeds University, where there were two control groups, uh, two groups. One was a control group of men, and the other, obviously, the experimental group. The experimental group of men were primed before they went into this test. They were told very subtly, but they were told, oh, men don't do particularly well in this test, we've noticed. And lo and behold, it was a, a test given to maths, acumen, scientific questions and, and engineering questions. Lo and behold, when men were primed, i.e. told beforehand that men don't do particularly well in this test, the test group performed much more poorly than the, the control group who obviously weren't primed. So, Let's talk about stereotyping. Let's have the difficult conversation because you exist to dismantle that stereotype. And and can you tell us more about how you're making that happen? I just kind of want to, before we answer that question, just come back slightly with the example because it's kind of ringing bells are quite pertinent with me. So I have worked in the tech sector and, you know, with Hidden, we work in the tech sector. And I think one of the biggest challenges is looking at the tests. 
And I think sometimes to get into the um, the space, you have to perform a technical test. And um, there was a study actually in America and they took 48 graduate and undergraduate students. And what they did is they had a controlled environment and they tested people that were having a technical interview when they were being watched versus a private session without being observed. And they found that no women successfully solved the problem in the public setting, whereas all of them solved it correctly in the private setting, which is very interesting because actually when we look at how we are having tests and it's the idea of stress that kind of, I think, you know, was proven that actually was the factor that helped women not get through the technical test. So I think that I disagree that women aren't as strong at STEM subjects and I disagree very, very strongly on this and you know, I have come from a place where actually my early career, I was an IT teacher um, for secondary school education. I'm really pushing the STEM agenda. So I really say that that is completely untrue. I think the way that we test people has to be equitable. When I say equitable, I mean fair. So we're removing that bias. And I think that if we look at the way we test people and actually pay attention to a, pr a private take home test is what people need. But then there's the other side of the technical test where a lot of people going into technical roles are given the take home technical test and it's it could take you 48 hours go away and do it and come back we are not taking into account people who are parents people who do not have 48 hours and potentially only have one hour and you're comparing it against somebody who potentially doesn't have any dependence and has a whole weekend free to work on a technical test and then you're comparing it's like comparing apples and pears because it's not fair the amount of time so it's actually looking at having different ways to overcome these challenges within the tech industry looking at ways perhaps where we come online and introduce a technical assessment. We go offline to give people a private space for one hour so everyone has the same affair, the same and the most equitable way to do it. They go away for an hour and do it in a private space that's not watched. And then they come back and talk through their code and their answers and the bugs and all of the other pieces. And then, then it's a fair environment. And I think it's very similar with the test that you have sort of said was taken. I think the pressure and, you know, the results, it, it's not a fair way to judge it. It goes back to kind of the beginning as well and driving the curriculum really early and having clarity around kind of um, what STEM is. Um, I think we need to be more open about kind of what the path looks like for young females who are really intrigued about this area, but but feel afraid for whatever reason to kind of step into that space. Um, you know, we do have some great leaders um, in the industry. Um, so really kind of hearing from them what it is to work, you know, in tech and what that career path is, you know, if they are a young talent that hasn't had the opportunity to go to university, or it hasn't been afforded to them, how are we um, using our privileges um, to, you know, make sure that we're speaking to people that uh, maybe are not on the same, you know, have the same stance as us, but really having those key figureheads, you know, open up and tell their story as to what it is to be successful in this space and really pushing that narrative. I think that's such a good point that you make, you know, the, the, the fact that when we bring greater visibility to the connections between structures and the connections between systems so that you know recruiters are not just engaged in um, conversations with potential employers but they're also potentially having conversations with educators 
um, that, that the stakeholder engagement becomes much broader and much wider, then most certainly you're going to be having more conversations, um, conversations that invite disparate and diverse points of view, but all towards solution orientation, how to bring more women in with with a sense of um, with a sense of of meaning and and with purpose. So I, I love that point, Kim. The, the the fact that we should be looking at a wider stakeholder engagement um, across across inclusion. I wanted to pick up on something very quickly that Fez just said, just on the hidden point of view from um, actually where we kind of came from and uncovering these hidden conversations and hidden talent. Another kind of caveat to, to where we really focus on is actually our tech, our hidden app. One of the biggest, biggest pieces of feedback, one of the biggest barriers that we kept hearing about and I've personally heard about from so many candidates in, in the industry is, you know, I feel like if I send my CV to a hiring manager, they're implicit bias. So the bias that we all know we have, there's a very famous quote out there that if you have a brain, you have bias. Um, we've moved away from calling it unconscious because then that puts us to the fact that we can't help it. We can, we can do a lot to to tackle this. But with so many candidates saying, I feel like if I give my, my CV over to someone, what are they looking at? They're looking at my name, they're looking at my age, they're looking at my gender, they are looking at my education, my protected characteristics. And one of the big pieces that we implement with, with a lot of our partners that we work with, is our hidden app that ultimately takes away those protected characteristics. And that's that hidden piece. You know, you will not see a name, you will not see a picture, you know, you will not see these key points of information. If it is that the role absolutely requires a technical skill, of course, you'll see that in there. But when we have a conversation with a candidate at very, very first point, when we've gone out to these communities and partnered with areas that no one else is looking in, that first conversation that we have is, Right, great, we'll talk about the role, but tell me about you. Tell me how you got here. Tell me what you love. Tell me what your, you know, your motivations are, how you behave, what your values are, where, where you want your life to be. And that's what we portray in this app. It comes with that, and then it also comes with the skills and the experience of the individual. And from our perspective, we get such a great response from candidates saying, thank you, because you know, I don't feel like I'm going to be judged based on my name. I don't feel like I'm going to be judged whether or not to a Redbrick Uni. I used to hate giving my CV out. I've never gone to university. I was an apprentice at, at 21, you know, and I used to hate giving my CV out thinking, well, that's what they're going to be looking for. I have a degree. I don't want to get a degree. I don't, I'm not going to get one. So to take that away and to take that choice away from hiring managers for us is the first big port of call to say your biases, they're not going to be starting flagging here. And when we go forward to that interview stage and they then reveal the name and they then get to have that conversation, it's down to us, it's down to everyone in that process to go through that training to recognise these are my flags, this is where bias could come up and this is how I can tackle it. And I think also that it's important to add that, you know, we all have a bias, but a process can help us remove the bias and kind of filter that out early. And there was a study that said, I think 60% of hiring decisions are made based on those biases alone. And then you look at some tech companies that are startup and scale up, and that statistic is drastically, drastically higher. And actually to remove that from the process and start a process where it's completely blank. And the other thing that I think is great about the bias that we remove is actually, you know, when we're looking at neurodiversity and, you know, the things that make people different. And I think some people can't write a CV. Their written skills aren't as great as maybe their verbal communication or their technical skills. And I think, you know, sometimes 
people don't say everything they've done in the CV. So something that, you know, I look at CVs all the time, so I'm very used to what a good CV looks like. But when you're in an industry where you're only really looking for a job a couple of times in your life, let's say, you know, you're not necessarily well versed on what to write. Couple that with the fact that potentially writing isn't your favorite thing or isn't your skill set. Actually, to remove the written word from the CV and have it framed as hidden says, and it's from our conversation with a candidate. And actually, all we have on there that is linear and factual is just you know, where they have been and what they did on that project and what their technical skills are or their specific skills. And I think taking away the bias of actually whether you can write a CV is really powerful. So we do persona-led hiring, which is called a segment expert persona. And we work with our clients using that tool to get our clients thinking differently about the way that they hire. So I think we mentioned a few times now about kind of our the personality, the behaviours, the value of a person is, you know, you know, maybe currently missing because we don't want to hire clones, right? We, we have many people doing the same thing. But if you're bringing someone new into the organisation, what is it that this person can really add to your culture and, and really make a difference? I've been writing down, though, a few of the, of the, of the hints and tips that, um, you know, our listeners who are probably wondering, like, how can we make sure we get better representation? How can we inspire others? Um, other women to work in tech. And actually, most of this advice is less around women in tech and more just generally about diversity. Um, but the first one, the first comment I had down here was was just create those internal uh, communities. Um, you know, not, I think, Natalie, you mentioned it, you can't build it in just a day, but that sense of belonging, I think, is really, really key. So I think that's really, really valid. Like if you're listening to this and you haven't thought and you're at a certain size, like it doesn't work if you're five people, you know, but if you're, 500 people or a part of a large organization that many of our listeners are like, are you doing enough to create those internal communities? The second one, which I thought was really important was, was education, education on what being an ally means, education on embracing, you know, aware, all the awareness days in the calendar, like we're doing next week with this, uh, which I think is really valid. And then, and then the third one, Kim, I think it was you that made this point was creating a process that then removes the bias. And now we've talked heavily about recruitment today because hidden, you, you guys are, a recruitment company but i think like ways that you can like, look for look for ways that you can ensure that that bias is removed because i think everyone has a natural bias some way or another so those are kind of my three big takeaways that i'm actually going to take away from this call and, and see what we can do to action i i'd like to say thank you so much for coming on this podcast guys i think you're just such incredible people I, i've really really enjoyed enjoyed this one and i insist that we are not waiting a year to do this again the beautiful women of hidden